Welcome to Victory with Paul Doherty, pastor of Victory in Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Pastor Paul has a great message for you today, and I believe this message is going to make an impact in your life. All right, well, we have been in our David series, and how many of you have gotten to be a part of this series the last few weeks? Have you enjoyed it? Have you learned something? I pray you have. We are studying the life of David and the, the, the lessons we can learn from him. There's more written on the character David in the Bible than any other character except Jesus. So to me, that's a sign from God that says, you need to learn some things from this guy, what he walked through and how he faced adversity and how he overcame giants and overcame difficult seasons. And we've been learning a lot. God chose David at a young age when he was between the ages of 10 and 15 years old. And the reason why God chose David is because God's heart was broken. God's heart was broken because the nation of Israel did not want God as their king. They wanted a human king. They wanted to be like all the other nations that had a human leader. So God gave them Saul. Saul started off pretty good, but over time, Saul's heart drifted from God. And he feared man more than he feared God. And he cared more about his image than he cared about his soul. And over time, Saul got into deep, deep sin. And God knew he had to choose a new leader. And he didn't go to the Ivy League schools of Israel and he didn't look for the strongest, tallest, most charismatic guy or the guy that maybe everybody thought should be king. He went to the hills of Bethlehem. And he found a young boy, a little middle school boy with pimples on his face, going through puberty. His voice was cracking as he would sing songs on the hills and watch over his father's sheep and his name was David. He was the youngest of eight sons. And God chose this young boy to be the future king of Israel. He anointed him, but he had not yet appointed him. Some of us will go through seasons where we know there's something in our future, but it's not time yet. And we have to live in patience. And David lived in patience. He fought lions, bears, took on a giant named Goliath and killed him with a, a slingshot and a stone. And his name grew famous in Israel. So famous that Saul, the first king of Israel, who was still alive and still the king, didn't like it. He didn't like that everybody liked David more than him, and David was actually living in his palace, had become friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, even had his daughter's eyes on him. In fact, the daughter of Saul married David, and over time, Saul got so jealous and so angry of David's popularity, he started throwing spears at David. And last week, we left off that finally, David was running so much from Saul that he decided to escape the country of Israel. And he ran far, far away. And we go to 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, and we get excited about the word of God here at Victory. And it says that David left Gath and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. Everybody say Adullam. Now, this was a place of retreat, a place of refuge for David, but it was far from civilization, far from society, and he was all by himself. And I imagine that first night in the cave was not an easy night. In fact, it would be a few nights before he would find any other friends to come and join him. And I want us to go back 3,000 years ago and imagine what was going through the mind and the heart of David in that deep, dark cave of Adullam. It's so cold in here. Why am I here? Hello? God, 
Anybody, are you out there? I don't deserve this. I did everything right. I did all the right things and I'm still, still here in the wrong place, all alone. God, I thought you said I was gonna be the king. I thought you said you had a plan for my life. Some king I am, king of the caves. I feel like I've lost everything. I've lost my wife, I've lost my best friend Jonathan, I've lost my position in the army, I've lost my family. My father-in-law, the king of Israel, hates me, wants to kill me, and God, I've done nothing but love him, I've served him. I didn't throw the spears back. So why am I here? Now, I haven't lost everything. I have not lost everything. I still have hope, even though it feels hopeless. Even though it feels like everyone's against me, I still have hope, God, that you're for me. And I believe that you're with me, God. Even in this cave, I believe that you're with me. So God, I'm gonna turn this cave into a house of worship. And God, I'm gonna choose to let this dark season in my life become a training ground. For something greater, I hope, God. I'm holding on to hope. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And I lean not to my own understanding. God, I trust you. That you're with me, even in this cave, God, even in this place, Lord, God, you're for me, when it feels like everything's against me, God, you're my vindicator, you're my shepherd, God, you're my king. So, Lord, I trust you. And God, I choose to worship you. Oh, I miss the days where things felt so easy, just watching over Dad's sheep. Lord, I worship you. I exalt thee. I exalt I exalt Thee, oh Lord, let everything that has breath, I exalt Thee, even in the cave, God, I exalt Thee, yes, I Singing with the angels in this cave. Hi. 
God, I choose to trust you and I surrender. God, I know that you're gonna turn this wilderness, God, into a place of worship. God, you're not finished with me yet. My best days are still in front of me. And I'm gonna handle this season like a champion. It says that David was all alone in the cave at first, but over time, people started talking, and they always do. Word began to spread, and people found out David was in the caves all by himself. And it says in verse one that the first group to hear about it was his father's household. When his brothers and his father's household heard that David was all alone in the cave, they went down to him there. And this week when I was reading that, God began to speak to me, that God is getting ready to shift some families back together. God is getting ready to reconcile some broken relationships between brothers and sisters and parents and children. God is getting ready to bring people back to you that left you for a season. I sense a shift in families and marriages right now. The first group that would come to David was his family. And if there's something we can learn in this season of David's life is before the family came, his eyes were on God. Number one, what to do when you're in the caves, and the title of this message is King of the Caves, King of the Caves, because before you can become King of the Caves, before you can become King of Israel, you gotta become King of the Caves. And number one, the key to, to what to do when you're in the caves is to look to God. Everybody say, look to God. David could have looked to man, he could have looked to money, he could have looked to some sort of a drug or some sort of a drink or some addiction or another girl or some other thing, but instead he looked to God because he knew that God was the only one that could help him in this time of adversity. Can I tell you today, a drug won't do it, a bottle won't do it, an affair won't do it, pornography won't do it, there's nothing that you can get out there that can help you in your season of the caves except a relationship with the Lord. David found his strength in God first. And I know it sounds simple. You might be thinking, well, Paul, this is Sunday school material. Look to God. Yeah, but the problem is most Christians look there last. It's like we forget that God is our, 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 our cornerstone, our shelter, our refuge. And so we pull out our phones and we scroll through the context. Who can I call? Who can I text? What can I do? Where can I get something to drink? Where can I find something to, uh, to escape from the problems? that I'm facing and God says, come to me, because nothing else will do like me. Nothing else will heal like the healer, the great physician. So David looked to God. Secondly, number two, don't stay isolated. David started out alone in the cave, but over time, people started hearing his songs. They started hearing about his problems. And David allowed his family members to come to him during that time. And when his brothers and his father's household crawled into the cave with David, thank God for people that will crawl into your cave with you in your moments of despair and say, we're with you, David. We're gonna help you get out of this. Your best days are still in front of you. See, all of us can find ourselves in the story. We're either David or we're the brothers sent to David to help David out. God wants to use you in every season of your life, when you're in the valley or on the mountaintop, and he wants to remind you, not just for yourself, but for others, to tell them God's not finished yet. 
God's not finished yet. Don't stay isolated. We need the community of the church. The enemy wants to get believers isolated, offended, afraid, always trying to hop from one place to the next, and God's saying, get planted in a community with a connect group, with some brothers and sisters. David found a brotherhood. It says in verse two that the next group that came to David was this, all those who were in distress, so people who were stressed out under a lot of pressure, those who were in debt that couldn't pay the bills, those that were discontented, those that were just feeling discouraged by life's circumstances, overwhelmed, wondering if their dreams would ever come to pass, wondering if they would ever get out of their own cave-like season. And they gathered around David, and he became the commander, the king of the caves. Everybody say, king of the caves. I mean, this was like the original Robin Hood. This was like where, where, where Robin Hood's story probably got their ideas from, or Hook. He was like the leader of the lost boys of Israel. And he pulled them together. About 400 men were with him. Everybody say community. There's something powerful when brothers and sisters get together. My wife is leading a, a women's uh, group this Friday night, Encounter Night, for the ladies. Hello, ladies. God wants you to have a sisterhood. He doesn't want you to do life alone. Men in the room, God wants you to have a brotherhood. We have so many men's connect groups in this church. In fact, I went to two of them this last week. One of them was on a Saturday morning, 7 a.m., walked into our prayer room. There's about 100 plus men in there praying, hugging each other, crying together, encouraging each other, speaking victory over each other. There's power in community. Don't do life alone. Don't stay isolated. Number three, what we can learn from David is that we must turn our wilderness into a training ground. See, when David was in the cave, he knew he was in the wilderness. And for the next eight years of David's life, he would be running from cave to cave, from forest to forest, with his 400 broken men, but he turned it into a training ground. They would gather around the fire and they would pray together. They would worship together. They didn't have the swords that they used to have in Israel, so they had to use rocks and branches and trees and, and leaves, and they would use whatever they could find to prepare for battle. And they would sing those worship songs together. We exalt thee, Lord. You deserve the glory. They went into the cave as a broken group of men, but they came out of the cave as the mighty men of valor. And I like to think that this church is a cave. It kind of looks like a cave, doesn't it? Kind of feels like a little bit dark in here, but this is a cave of restoration, a cave of reconciliation where family members can get connected again, a, a cave of redemption where people who have fallen and feel like they can't get up, who people who have failed and missed it and carry in shame and regrets, when you leave this cave, you might have come in weak, but you're going out strong. You might have came in poor, but you're going out rich. You might have came in stressed out, but you're going out with peace. You might have come in overwhelmed and defeated, but you're walking out victorious. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding this morning. Welcome to my cave. I'm looking at some mighty cavemen and cavewomen. Come on, Neanderthals. Let's do this. God's got a battle for you to fight, and you gotta turn your wilderness into a training ground. When David would talk to God about his problems, he, he really had questions he would ask God, and there's some questions that you should ask God if you find yourself in a cave-like season, and a cave-like season is really a season that doesn't make sense. You ever been in a season that just doesn't make sense? All right, so the questions David asked God is, why am I here? Why am I here? And you may not like the answers God gives you, but I'm telling you, those, those answers are answers you need to hear. 
Because it could be things that God's wanting to pull out of you. It could be that you're here because there's some things you did or things that others did to you. Nonetheless, the, the question that David would ask next is, what do I need to learn when I'm here? What does God want me to learn here? In every season of your life, God wants you to learn something, even the tough seasons, even the cave time seasons. And the next question David would ask is this, how can I make the most of my time here? How can I make the most of my time here? See, when you become a king of the caves, there's never a wasted season. You make every season purposeful. You maximize your time in every moment, even when spears are being thrown at you. And so David would rally these men together, and he would make a, a, a wilderness into a training ground, and these guys would get stronger, and they would become the mighty men of valor. And over the next few chapters, for the next eight years, David would walk with these men, and he would work with these men, and they would fight together. And I want us to go to 1 Samuel 23, verse 8. Because the next thing is Saul continues to chase David. Remember, Saul's the king, the leader of Israel, and he's kind of losing his mind. And when a leader doesn't let God lead, eventually they self-destruct or God removes them from their position. And Saul was on a downward spiral towards self-destruction. Saul called up all of his forces for battle to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now skip to verse 14. It says that David heard about it. He stayed in the wilderness strongholds in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, everybody say day after day. Day after day, Saul searched for David. Isn't it amazing that the king of Israel was so distracted that he couldn't live out his main purpose because he was jealous and envious of this young boy, David, day after day. But this is also a picture of the enemy. Day after day, the enemy comes after you like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, searching for you, tempting you, telling you you can't do this, telling you you're not good enough, trying to tell you you'll always have this addiction, but I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for this but God part in this scripture. Aren't you thankful for the but God moments in your life? Watch what it says here, but God did not give David into his hands. See, man cannot stop what God has ordained. Man cannot stop what God puts in motion. God will see you through and the devil can't stop you. But you gotta keep moving forward. And you gotta keep making this wilderness a time of worship and preparation for what God's called you to do. So we go to 1 Samuel 24, verse one. And it says that Saul found out that David was in the desert of En Gedi. Everybody say En Gedi. This was like a desert place near the Dead Sea of Israel and there was caves where David would hide and near those caves was a brook, a, a stream of water where David and his men would drink from and hide in the caves. And David was turning a low point in his life into a high point and so can you. And it says that Saul found out about it. He came to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. In verse three, it says that Saul saw a cave and he went to go and relieve himself in the cave. Now, I'm not gonna reenact that part right there. <laughs> but I will reenact this next sentence. David and his men were far back in the cave. So David and his men were far back in the cave and, and the men around David. So imagine David hiding back here behind the grand piano. And Saul's over there by the fire. He's in the cave. Saul can't see David, but David can see Saul. David's back here with all of his men and they're whispering in his ear. This is your moment. This is your time. David, God has delivered Saul into your hands. Go and get even with him. Go and take him out. It's time for you to become king. But David knew something. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. David knew that the same God who called him to become king would make him king at the right time, but David would not try to do it in his own hands. 
And they were whispering to David, come on, he's mistreated you. He's done so much against you. And there will be people that whisper to you at the company. Come on, just take a little bit of extra money. You know they did you wrong. You know they haven't really honored you. Come on, just get even. Do what you want to do. Whatever your flesh wants to do, take it. You deserve it. The enemy will whisper to you how to, how to respond to people who've mistreated you. So David's listening and he's getting closer and Saul can't see him. His back's turned towards him and David has his sword and instead of killing Saul, something changes his mind and he cuts off just a piece of thread from Saul's robe. And even then, his conscience is stricken. He's overwhelmed with guilt and shame and it's only a piece of thread. Why is he so uh, guilty because of just taking a piece of thread? He could have killed Saul and everybody would have been fine with it. But David was so living in the fear of God that every detail of integrity mattered to him. Every detail of integrity mattered to him. There's a lesson to learn there, church. It's a beautiful thing to have a fear of the Lord inside you that every detail of integrity matters. And when Saul had gone down from the cave and he was far from David, David shouted, Saul! David, David wondered if Saul would throw a spear at him, and Saul recognized that voice. Saul turns around. David? David says, Saul, I don't know who's been telling you that I'm against you, but I'm not. I'm for you. And I had a chance to kill you just now in the cave. I was behind you, and I had my sword ready. But instead, I showed you love because I love you, Saul. And God judged between you and me. I have a piece of thread to prove that I could have done it, but I will not touch the Lord's anointed Far be it from me to touch who God has put in place. And David said, just, just please, stop, stop trying to kill me because I'm for you. Saul cries and he says, David, you're a better man than I am. You're a better man than me and God surely has a plan for your life and you will be the future king of Israel. And I'm sorry I've been chasing you. I won't do it anymore. But David knew better than to believe that. David knew that as long as Saul was alive, he was gonna come after him. So David remained hidden in the caves. What do you do when you're mistreated in life? Number four, you handle mistreatment like a champion. To become the king of the caves, you must handle mistreatment like a champion. Another word for champion is how about handle mistreatment like a Christian? Handle mistreatment like a Jesus follower. How would Jesus respond to mistreatment? And under this, a few sub-thoughts that I wanna leave you with on this right here. Handle mistreatment like a champion. Listen, because people are imperfect, expect to be mistreated. It be, listen, people are imperfect. Anybody in this room imperfect? Just raise your hand if you're imperfect. Good, you're in good company. It's okay to be imperfect. Because all of us are. And because of that, at times we're gonna let each other down. We're gonna unintentionally, and sometimes even other people are gonna intentionally mistreat you. But don't be surprised by the trials you walk through. Because God wants to use those trials as fire test gold to purify your heart and to make a faith that's so genuine and sincere. Because people are imperfect, expect to be mistreated. And listen, because mistreatment is inevitable, anticipate feelings of revenge. Anybody ever just get those feelings where you just want to get even with somebody? Yeah? I remember this one time my dad was preaching, this was years ago, and a guy came down to the altar and punched my dad in the face. And I wanted to punch him back in the face. And I wanted to kick him and I wanted to take him out. My dad told me, Paul, we don't respond that way. What do you mean? He deserves it. <gasps> my dad was like, calm down, son. Peaceful Paul in Jesus' name. 
Sometimes the revenge just gets inside me. They, they did us wrong, Mom. They did you wrong, John. We gotta get even with them. Those feelings of revenge are, are real, even as Christians. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I see like stuff that's happening across our country and across the world, when I see terrorists killing Christians in Egypt, it's just this, ah. But remember, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. And when you try to get even, you don't get even. You just become like Saul. And when you, when you seek revenge, you might as well dig two graves because it's a road of destruction. Revenge never really satisfies you, even when you, even when you get them back for what they did to your kids, for what they did to your parents, for what they did to your brother or your sister. And so this last thought underneath this is, because the desire for revenge is predictable, and it is. Isn't it predictable? We always get, when we're mistreated, it's predictable. Refuse to fight in the flesh. Refuse to fight in the flesh. I know this is not like the funnest thing to hear, but listen, when you fight in the spirit, you bring so much more power into your future than when you fight in the flesh. When you begin to just fight in prayer and in worship and just pray for him, Lord. I pray for him and you say, can I pray some intense prayers? David prayed some intense prayers, like, yeah, kill him, Lord. <laughs> but you know what? Jesus says, bless your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who wrongfully mistreat you and treat you unfair. And remember that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Handle mistreatment like a champion. So we come to this Last story in David's life before he becomes king, and it's in 1 Samuel 30, and it's been eight years now. He's been running from Saul. He's 30 years old at this point. Everybody said 30 years old. 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, it says, David and his men reached Ziklag. Now, you need to know why David was at Ziklag. Because, by the way, Saul would try to kill David again, and David would spare his life a second time. There's a chapter in this 1 Samuel 25 where a woman helps David out and she becomes his wife and David starts gaining strength. But during that time, he escapes into the enemy territory, the Philistines. And he lives for 16 months in the enemy's territory and he kind of loses his identity. And he makes a few bad decisions, tells some lies. And you know, even great leaders make mistakes. And that's why we should never put our hope or our trust in a man, but keep our hope and trust in God. And through those mistakes, David would not keep going down that path that finally he would come back to the Lord. And he comes to Ziklag and he's been leading his men in the enemy's territory. He's been finding shelter from an, an, an enemy king. And he comes to Ziklag and some people have raided their camp. They attacked Ziklag and they burned it. In verse two, it says that they, they took their, the wives and they took the kids, both young and old, and they, they didn't kill any of them, but they kidnapped them. They carried them off and went on their way. And so when David and his men found this, in verse four, they wept. They wept so loud. They wept so long they had no more tears left to weep. Have you ever wept so long that you have no more tears left to weep? You've cried so hard, there's no, literally no more tears. Your eyes are dry from crying, and you're just exhausted. David, David was tired, he was exhausted, he was weary. He was 30 years old. It had been 15 years since he slayed Goliath. It had been 16 to 17 years since he heard the prophecy about one day becoming a king. He had lived in caves, lived in the wilderness, been running from his father-in-law, running from the king of Israel. 
If there was ever a time to throw in the towel, it was right now. Little did David know he was so close to his breakthrough. And brokenness always precedes breakthrough. When you feel like you're down to nothing, God is up to something. God is up to something. God's up to something in someone's life right now. And it says in verse six that David became, 1 Samuel 30, verse six, it says David was greatly distressed. He was stressed out, rightfully so. All the men around him spoke of stoning him because of the souls of all of them were bitterly grieved. So now his brothers, his army, his ragamuffin army, his guys that he had led in the cave, now they hate him. So now he's hated on all sides and he's surrounded by stress and he's surrounded by fear and he's surrounded by all kinds of worry. And maybe he's thinking to himself, God, it's been 16 years. Maybe this is the end for me. Maybe there really is no crown for me. Maybe I should just end it here. But instead, it said that David, in this moment, encouraged and strengthened himself in the Lord. David learned how to encourage himself when nobody else would encourage himself. And here's the fifth point about being a king of the caves. You've gotta become your best encourager. Be your best encourager. Don't wait for everybody else to encourage you when you're down. You gotta learn how to talk yourself back into the calling God has on your life. I'll never forget my wife telling me this uh, a few months ago. She just said, Paul, you gotta be your best encourager. Be your best encourager. You know, every time before I get up on this stage, I encourage myself in the Lord. I say, I'm anointed and appointed. God, you chose me to do this, and I will lead victory to our best days yet in Jesus' name. God, you're not finished with me. You're not finished with this church. You're not finished with those that are in this room that feel discouraged. God, I thank you that I have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. God, I thank you that I have eyes to see, ears to hear, a to speak what you are speaking and God I thank you no weapon formed against me shall prosper and God I thank you Lord I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and God I thank you that I'm more than a conqueror and God I thank you that there are more for us than those that are against us and God I thank you Lord that if you're for me who can be against me and God I thank you that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world and God I thank you I've not been given a spirit of fear or intimidation but power love and a sound mine. I exalt you, God. You are worthy of praise. I am a child of God. I am made in your image. I am valuable to you, God. You know the number of hairs on my head. Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you are thinking of me, that you hear me when I call. You call me a friend of God. So, Lord, I won't stay defeated, and I won't stay down, and I won't throw in the towel, and I won't end my life. I'm going to move forward from this, and I'm going to go out there, Lord Jesus, and do what you called me to do. Everybody say, encourage yourself. I forgot y'all were in the room. I was just encouraging myself. Y'all were like, it's the end of the sermon? <laughs> Welcome to my cave. God wants you to encourage yourself. This week, he wants you to have a cave on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, Saturday. When you feel discouraged in the workplace and you feel discouraged, maybe you're going through a season of loneliness or singleness and you're wondering, God, I thought you were gonna bring someone into my life and God, I thought you were gonna give us children and God, I thought I was gonna get a promotion and God, I thought I was gonna have my dream fulfilled by this time. You've gotta encourage yourself and the Lord. You gotta close your eyes and... Just get alone with God in the cave. 
Before you can be king of the palace, you gotta be king of the caves. And to be king of the caves, you gotta be king of your thoughts. And number six, you gotta get up on the inside so that you can win on the outside. Get up on the inside. The devil's trying to push you down. You gotta get up on the inside. My basketball coach used to tell me, imagine the, the, ball, the ball just going through the hoop before you even shoot it at the free throw line. Just imagine yourself winning. Imagine what it's gonna feel like when the victory happens, when the healing comes, when the breakthrough happens. Get up on the inside so that you can win on the outside. Number seven, you gotta use what you got. You may not have much, but you got something. Use what you got. God says, give me your five loaves and your two fish and let me see what I can do with that. Elijah told the widow, give me that bottle of oil and let's see what God can do with that. Give me your last dough of bread and let's see what God can do with that. Give me your staff, Moses, and let me see what I can do with that. I can part red seas. I can, I can turn around king's minds. I can lead the children of Israel. Just give me a stick and I'll show you what I can do. Some of us in this room, we feel like we don't have enough. God, I don't have the money I used to have. I don't have the resources I used to have. And here's the eighth point right here. Work with who's with you. Work with who's with you. Maybe you're thinking today, I don't have the people I used to have. My dad's gone. They're not here anymore. They left us. How am I going to make it? You got to work with who's with you because who's with you is enough for you to get the victory. God has positioned you for such a time as this. Work with who's with you. At some point, we mourn, and mourning is good, and grieving is good, but not forever. At some point, you got to move forward, and you got to say, okay, God, I'm going to use what I got. It's amazing. David went to fight the Amalekites in 1 Samuel 30. He finally strengthened himself in the Lord. He went out there. Man, he took back everything they stole and even more. I believe God's getting ready to give you double for your trouble. He's going to restore what the devil has stolen, and he's not just going to give you 50% back or 80% back. No, not even just 100% back. He's going to give you more for what you've walked through. But you got to use what you got. You got to work with who's with you. David had less, but God did more. And here's the last point right here, number nine. Keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. God grew David in the dark so that he could be ready for the light. God grew David in the dark so he could be ready for the light. God developed David's character in the caves so that he could handle the pressures of the crown. I want you to stand to your feet all over this room. I'm looking at some kings and queens of the caves. Some of you are walking through tough times, difficult times. Some of you aren't, but someone near you is. And God's gonna send you into their life to crawl in the cave and say, hey, God's not finished. Your best days are still in front of you. This week, God wants you to come to him, to lean on him, to trust in him. As we end today, David came back with all of his men, came back with all their wives and children and all their stuff. David didn't get mad at the people who didn't come with him because half the guys didn't want to go. They were tired. He said, here you go. Got it all back. David was still tired, still weary, and didn't realize on the other side of Israel that king, King Saul, had just lost a battle, had just lost his life. David didn't know it, but God was getting ready to bring the crown to Ziklag. David was waiting in Ziklag, 30 years old, and all of a sudden the word starts to come, the time has 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 come, the crown is coming, the crown is coming. 
It's all been worth it. It's all been worth it. Your crown is on the way, David. Your crown is on the way. Next week, we're gonna pick up on that. But I wanna tell you today that there's a crown coming to you and it's worth it. And it's a crown that will not perish and will not fade. And it's a crown that when you receive it, it's gonna go back to the feet of Jesus. And it's a crown that will remind you every time you forgave and walked in love and did the right thing, it was worth it. So with heads bowed and eyes closed all over this room, if you're walking through a cave-like season, just raise your hand all over this room. I wanna pray for you. You can relate to this. Yeah, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, yes, yes, yes. If you've been wrongfully mistreated, raise your hand. I wanna pray for you today. You don't know what to do. There's people that have done stuff to you and, and maybe there's a temptation to get even, take revenge. Some of you here today, you, you say, Paul, I'm going through a tough time. I need prayer. I need hope. I need to get my eyes back on the Lord. Some of you here today, you need to renew your strength. Don't throw in the towel. You're at Ziklag. You are seriously just a foot away from your victory. The crown is on the way. Don't throw in the towel. Just around the river bend. God has so much more. Lastly, you're here today and you say, Paul, I'm not right with God. I need to repent. I need to surrender to Jesus. If that's you, today is your day. Lift your hand all over this room. If that's you, today is your day. Yep, hands going up from the front to the back. If you raise your hands for any of those, I want you to leave your seat. Come and join me at this altar. Come on, every man and woman, every boy and girl that raised your hand or you know you should have, join me at the cave. Join me at the altar. Bring your dream to God. Bring your season to God. Lay down your sword before God. Say, God, you're my judge, my vindicator, my healer. All over this room. I wanna pray for those here today too that are believing for family reconciliation. When I spoke that earlier, someone here today is believing for family reconciliation. Come down to the altar. I wanna pray for families, marriages, to be reconciled and restored. And we're gonna sing a worship song together all over this room, whether you're at the altar or in your seat. Can we sing that worship song, guys? All over this room. Let's just lift our voices to God this morning. We said, we said our hope in Jesus on name. you. We Lord, we said our, our hope on you. On you God Lord. is with you. We He's said our you hope in the cave. On the one I thank you, Lord God, for restoration. I thank you, God, for redemption. God. I thank you, God, that you are the vindicator. You are
room. Can you see it? Can you see it? This is our cave time right here. Can you feel it? God's drawing you in. He's growing you. He's preparing you. He's using you to strengthen people around that bonfire in that cave. Saying, get ready, get ready, get ready. A shift is coming. The crown is coming soon. But you must, you must turn this wilderness into a training ground. You must allow God to work in you and for you and through you. And when you've done all you know to do to stand, keep standing and keep moving forward. Let's pray together. Say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I'm all yours. I repent of sins. I receive your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead. So I receive you, Lord. My God, my Savior, my healer, my vindicator. Vengeance belongs to you, God. So I choose to trust you. I choose to walk in love and forgive those who have mistreated me. I'm all yours, God. I'm going to keep moving forward in your strength, by your Holy Spirit. I refuse to quit. I will walk in victory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give God praise today. Thank you for listening to Victory with Paul Doherty. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you at any of our services. Saturday night at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 8.30, 9, and 11 a.m. If you can't visit us, you can watch live on the Victory app, downloadable on the App Store and Google Play. Remember, your best days are right in front of you.